So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In the late 1980s, Gayla Benfield, Benefield worked in a small town in Montana reading the meters of every house for the local utility company. During that time, she noticed that many people home were home during the day. They were in their 40s and their 50s, and many were on oxygen tanks or sick with some various respiratory diseases or having lung cancer. Puzzled, she did some investigating. And when she did, she discovered a toxic form of asbestos called vermiculite, was used to insulate many homes during the harsh Montana winters and was also used profusely as a soil conditioner in the parks and in the football fields. So she tried to tell anyone and everyone in the town about the hazard, but nobody would listen to her. Journalist Margaret Heffernan later reported on this story to NPR and said this, in fact, Gayla became so annoying and kept insisting on telling this story to her neighbors, to her friends, and to other people in the community, eventually a bunch of them got together and they made a bumper sticker which said, yes, I'm from Libby, Montana, and no, I don't have asbestosis. However, this did not stop Gayla. She kept on trying to warn people of the danger of what was happening in that area. And later on, a scientific researcher soon confirmed her suspicions. But even so, the town argued, well, if it was really, really dangerous, the doctors would have told us so. In total, 400 people died. And over 1,200 people were affected. And in the end, the EPA spent $120 million for the cleanup and also had to set up a special asbestos clinic to treat the residents. The reporter Heffernan says this, 
There is a lot of willful blindness around these days. There are issues going on that people are afraid to raise or talk about. 85% of people know there's a problem, but won't say anything. Are you one of those people? Are we afraid to tell people what God is doing in this world and what he will do? Peter isn't. As a matter of fact, what is happening at Pentecost reminds something, reminds Peter of something that is going to happen in the last days. And Peter's first sermon, or actually the introduction to his sermon, is a warning to individuals. Listen to the words that Peter begins this sermon with. He says to them, give heed. He wants them to pay attention. He wants them to hear his words and to listen up. Folks, we can be two people in that illustration. Number one, if we're sitting here today and we have not given heed to what God has told us, we can be the ones who blindfully and willfully ignore the truth of what is going to happen. Or if we have acknowledged that, we can be like the person, Gala, who does everything and anything to warn people of the coming danger. And that's exactly what Peter does. The day of the Lord is coming. And I hope we're all listening. Peter gives actually two indicators, but we need to apply them to our present day application. So the first indicator is the pouring out of God's spirit on all mankind or on a larger scale than what is happening there at Pentecost. But the application of that is that God pours out his spirit on us so that you and I may reveal him to those who do not know him. Verses 17 through 18. And Peter starts out and he says, in the last days, God, it shall be in the last, through the prophet Joel, and it says that, in the, God says in the last days that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And what is the result of the pouring forth of his spirit. The result is that your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even all my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy that which is revealed to them. Peter answers the question, so what does all this mean? In order to understand the prophecy of Joel, we have to go back to the context of Joel. And if we go back to the, the chapter in which the prophecy is spoken of in Joel chapter 2, this is how it starts. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming surely it is near. Joel is warning Israel about the coming day of the Lord and imploring them to turn and repent. This event that Peter is talking about, that is happening to Peter, 
is not fulfilled. The, the, the Joel prophecy is not fulfilled in the Pentecost event, but it reminds Peter of what is coming. And he's basically saying, this is nothing new that God hasn't spoken of before that he is going to do in a much larger fashion before his coming, the last days. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, yes, we are in the last days, but these are the specific last days in which these events are going to happen. The whole prophecy of Joel is about the restoration of Israel. Israel is going to turn to the Lord among many others, and God once again, as he did so in Pentecost, is going to pour forth his spirit on all mankind. Peter is using this as a springboard for a similar call to repentance. He's saying, this is reminding me of something that is going to happen, and God pouring forth his spirit is God pouring forth his grace. Now is the time to do what? Call on the Lord, right? I can't believe that this section is just Peter's introduction. Peter, I broke Peter's sermon down. It's going to be three sermons for Peter's one sermon. This is how Peter starts out his sermon, and he introduces this whole idea of a coming day of the Lord. And there's certain principles here that I want you to see about prophetic points or the way that we look at prophecy. So if you look at prophecy, and Joel's looking at prophecy, and he sees this one big event, and that is the outpouring of God's spirit in the last days. But if you turn that big mountain, you can see there's three little mountains. So the two little mountains before the final mountain are times that reflect those events or what we could call partial fulfillments that are leading up to a greater fulfillment. It would be like me taking the earthquakes that we hear about today, earthquakes and volcanoes and all of those things that are going on and saying, hey, God has promised one day, guess what? He's really gonna shake this earth. So these things should remind us of that time. Therefore, turn and repent. Or therefore, if we're the church, you and I need to go out and warn people that these things are going to happen. Let's look at the pouring out of his spirit. There's certain principles here that we need to take from this. Number one, this is the period of grace. God begins the church period and ends the church period or ends the, the whole ending with a pouring out of his grace. God does not have to reveal himself to us. You and I are living in this period of grace and the pouring out of his spirit is the pouring out of himself so that you and I may know and understand him. I was thinking about this passage this week, of course, because I'm preaching on it, but it really made me think that the whole of our existence is understanding and knowing him. God's whole purpose in sending Jesus Christ is so that you and I can have a relationship with him so that we can know and understand the almighty living God. 
And if that's his point, if that's the way all things are going to end, how are you and I living in light of that today? Are we taking the time to know him? Are we taking the time to understand him? Are we taking the time to worship him? Because I'll tell you what, that's what we're going to be doing for all eternity. He reveals himself to us. It's his grace. You and I can enter into a relationship with the one who created the heavens and the earth. He wants you to know him. He wants to give you his spirit. This is the good news, isn't it? This is what it's all about. The pouring forth of his spirit is a revealing of himself to people like you and me. All people. Doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter what your past is, because Jesus Christ takes care of that. You can know and have a relationship with God Almighty. That's His grace. To know Him personally, but also, why does He also pour out His Spirit upon us? What is the result of the pouring out of His Spirit in both of what is happening in these events? The result of his pouring out of his spirit at Pentecost is them speaking the mighty deeds of God. The result of his pouring out of his spirit later on before the coming of the Lord is them speaking about God. It is prophecy, it is visions, it is dreams. So the the people of God who received the spirit of God then do what? Proclaim about God. So he's given us his spirit, yes, so that we may know him, but he's given us his spirit so that we may proclaim him to this world. Church, are we doing that? If that's the result, or that's what should be the result of him pouring out his spirit, are you and I allowing his Holy Spirit to speak through us so that you and I can reveal him to people who do not know him because why? The end is coming. Yeah, we can hold up those signs. Those guys are right. The end is near. I don't encourage you to go out and do that, but feel free. You'll have some conversations. You'll probably get some fruit thrown at you, maybe. Peter's first sermon is a warning that the day of the Lord is upon us. That one day, what is happening at Pentecost is going to happen on a much, much greater scale. And now is the time for you to call on the Lord. Now is the time that you take advantage of the gift of grace. Now is the time that we get to know God. The goal of life. If this is how all things end up, right? If this is... If we spend an eternity worshiping and understanding and growing in the knowledge of God, if this is how it ends, then the goal of life is not ourselves, is it? 
The goal of life is not growing in knowledge of me, not self-worship, not proclaiming stuff about me. The goal of life is growing in knowledge of Him. The goal of life is, well, it's kind of what Paul said, right? That I may know Him. Kind of what Jesus said. This is eternal life. That they what? Know you. Where does that start? Right here and right now. And the goal of life is to know him and to speak and live for the only one that matters. Author Doug Mendenhall shares a brief parable that should cause all of us to pause and reflect. He said, Jesus called the other day. He said he was passing through, and he wondered if he can stop on by. Sure, I'd love to see you. When are you going to hit town? I mean, it's Jesus, he said. You know, it's not every day that you get the chance to visit with Jesus. It's not like your in-laws are coming over and you have to stop and decide whether the advantages outweigh you having to move to the sleeper sofa. Then Jesus actually said, well, he's right at the convenience store out by the interstate. The author says, I must have gotten a deer in the headlights look because my wife hissed at me and said, what is it? What's wrong? Who is that? So I covered the receiver and I told her that Jesus was going to arrive in eight minutes. She ran out of the room and started giving guidance to the kids in the way that an effective marine drill instructor gives guidance to recruits. My mind was already racing with what needed to be done in the next eight, now seven minutes, so that Jesus wouldn't think that we're a bunch of reprobate slobs. I turned off the TV in the den, which was blaring some weird, scary movie that I'd been half watching, but I could still hear the screams from our bedroom, so I turned off the reality TV show that that was tuned into. Plus, I turned off the kids' TV out on the sun porch, because I didn't want to have to explain John and Kate plus eight to Jesus six minutes from now. My wife had already thinned out all the weird magazines on the table, and she put out a magazine of Christianity Today, so things would look good, a good first impression for Jesus. Five minutes to go, I looked out the windows, and the the yard actually looked pretty good because of all the work that I put into it. What could I improve in four minutes anyway? I noticed that the mail had come. I ran out to grab it. Most of it was Netflix envelopes and a bunch of catalogs tied to our recent purchases. So I stuffed that back in the the box. Jesus didn't need to get the wrong idea three minutes from now about how much online shopping we do. I ran back and picked up some bunch of shoes that were left at the door, tried to stuff them in the closet but it was overflowing with heavy coats and work coats and snow coats and pretty coats and rain coats and extra coats. We live in the South. Why do we have so many coats? I squeezed the shoes on with two minutes to go. I plumped up the sofa pillows. My wife tossed the dishes into the sink and I scolded the kids and I shooed the dog. With one minute to go, I realized something important. Getting ready for a visit from Jesus is not an eight-minute job, is it? How are we spending our time? What's our priorities? 
Are we growing in the knowledge of him? Are we taking advantage of the revelation that he's already given us? And are we using that time to tell others about him? Because that doorbell's going to ring pretty soon, folks. As a matter of fact, comes pretty soon in Peter's sermon. Notice the change in the language. So what is it that we reveal? Well, it's the same thing that Peter reveals. That yes, he pours out his spirit on those who believe, but one day he's going to pour out his wrath on the entire world and all of those who do not know him. Verses 19 through 20. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. In a novel by British mystery writer P.D. James, a detective shares a common sentiment saying this, I don't go for all this emphasis on sin, suffering, and judgment. If I had a God, I'd like him to be intelligent, cheerful, and amusing. In response, her Jewish colleague says this, I doubt whether you would find him much of a comfort when they herded you into gas chambers. You might prefer a God of vengeance. Theologian J. Todd Billings comments on this quote, and he says, A God without wrath is a God who whitewashes evil and is deaf to the cries of the powerless. He said he had a student of his who grew up in a gang culture, and he lost a lot of his friends to gun violence. And he told him with profound honesty that if God will not avenge, I am tempted to. Precisely because God is a God of love and grace, he is also a God of holy wrath. And it makes people very uneasy talking about this today, doesn't it? It's like we live on planet fitness. It's a judgment-free zone. Peter's first sermon is a sermon of warning. Peter's first sermon, actually the introduction to his sermon, which this is, is judgment. Peter's first sermon is hellfire and brimstone, isn't it? It's blood, smoke, vapor, and darkness. That's the, the first public sermon of the church covers the two necessary elements of our gospel message, grace and wrath. Amazing, isn't it? 
The, the, the very first message of the, the public message that Peter brings out and speaks to these people, grace and judgment. That's a gospel emphasis, isn't it? What is our message to sound like? Well, it should have those elements involved in it. Now is the time of grace. God wants to know you. He wants to enter into a personal relationship with you. He's given his son who has taken his wrath upon himself so that you can live with him for eternity. But if you refuse, you get blood, fire, and judgment. The church sometimes feels that we have to apologize for this. That we're ashamed of God's holy wrath character. Why should we be? We have a sense of vengeance and of justice in our own world, don't we? Much, many, a lot of injustice. Who's going to set that right? Who's going to deal with all this evil in this world? If we have a problem with God's judgment, then we might want to think about the next time that we want justice in our own lives, right? If we want it, and we're sinful human beings who do not always act very justly, he's perfect. Why should we be ashamed of a message like that? But we are. You can't find many sermons today on hell and judgment. Why? It's the first thing that comes to Peter's mind. Why? Because he cares about the people that he's preaching to. He doesn't want that to happen to them. There's a sense of urgency in what he is saying. Notice what he is saying, what is prophesied in Joel, actually. Something similar said in Revelation. Listen to Revelation 6, 12 through 13. I watched and he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is the language of judgment. This is what is going to happen to this world and to those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, notice what God is doing as he judges the earth. Sun, moon, earth, stars. What is that? It's everything we're used to, right? It's everything that you and I depend on. Right, wake up, go to sleep. Isn't that a beautiful picture right? We wake up and there's the sun and go to bed and, and see the moon. And some of us do it 
day after day, day after day, night after night, never giving a thought to the one who put them there. I was talking about this the other day with someone. And this person gives thought to the one who put them there. Said he looks out at the place where he works and he sees the sunrise or sunset. And he says, God did that. Makes him think of God and makes him worship God, makes him appreciate God. The problem is, is that many out there are not doing that, are they? As a matter of fact, we change the world into our God and we worship the world. We worship the sun, we worship the moon, we worship our daily normal things and we're like the mockers that Peter later on is gonna say and, and we're, we're like those who say, where is his coming? Everyone's always talking about it. It's not gonna happen. There's no God. God's not going to, to pour out his wrath. He's just a God of love. If he, there is a God, he's going to let everyone and he's going to welcome them with open arms because we're such good, loving people. He's going to wink away at all our sin. Sorry, it's not the way the Bible tells it, is it? And Christians should not have to apologize for a God like that. God's grace, his mercy, his love, his spirit is for those who repent and recognize who put that sun there and who put that moon there and who put those stars there and who one day is going to take them away. His wrath and his anger and his judgment is reserved for those who ignore that. We cannot ignore the judgment of God. It's not going to go away. That was my approach to home repair. It doesn't work. I tried to ignore the problems. And then storms come, and this recent storm revealed rot, right? Isn't that what storms reveal? Rot and junk and flooding in my basement and now a leak in my chimney. I know. Feel bad for me, please. I could sit there and ignore that. Is it going to go away? No, there's signs of things to come. And much, much worse. My wife won't let me ignore that. You have to take action, don't you? One author says we have idolized God's love to the neglect or denial of his other attributes, including his wrath. Later on, Paul's going to have an opportunity to speak to Felix. Felix is a very big Roman official. What does Paul talk about with Felix? Well, they tell us. He talks about righteousness self-control and judgment. So next time you're visiting your folks or visiting with your friends, what do you want to talk about? I got an idea. I got three topics. Choose one. We talk about righteousness. We talk about self-control. We talk about judgment. They probably won't go with the judgment. Self-control, I don't know. Maybe they'll go with, let's talk about righteousness because they probably think they're righteous like all of us do. And what, what is Felix's response to what Paul wants to talk about? He's afraid, isn't he? 
As Paul's talking about him, he takes the opportunity to warn Felix of what? The coming judgment, who righteousness is found in, and how we are to live on this earth during that time between that judgment, before that judgment comes. Felix is what? Afraid. And what does Felix do? What everyone does. I don't want to hear that stuff right now. I, I can't hear that. I, I ain't going to this church anymore. Pastor Mark's just talking about judgment, fire, brimstone, hell. We don't want to hear that stuff. It doesn't encourage me. It doesn't make me feel happy or good. Felix just says what? You may leave. You may leave. I will find you when it's convenient. That's going to be, I can't wait to get to that sermon, right? I'll find you when it's convenient. I'll find you when it's convenient. Psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Gross points to research that shows we don't usually respond when a fire alarm rings. Instead of leaving the building immediately, we stand around and we wait for more clues. But then, even with more information, we still don't make a move. And it proves deadly. In 1985, 56 people were killed when a fire broke out in the stands of a soccer match in England. Close examination of the footage later revealed that fans did not immediately react to the alarm, and actually they continued to watch both the fire and the game, failing to move to the exits. Research has also shown that when we do move, we like to follow old habits. We don't trust emergency exits. We also try to exit the room through the same door that we entered because we don't know where the other exit is going to take us. Matter of fact, Kentucky, at Beverly Hills Supper Club in Kentucky, 177 people died because they got in line to pay their bill before they left. Granz concludes this. He says, after 25 years of, uh, as a psych, psychoanalyst, I, I can't say that this surprises me. We resist change. Committing ourselves to even a small change, even one that is unmistakably in our best interest, is often more frightening than ignoring a very dangerous situation. We don't want to take an exit if we don't know where it's going to take us. We want to know the new story that we're stepping into before the old one, before we enter into the old one, before we leave the exit the old one. Folks, don't wait. Don't ignore the alarms. The time to call on the Lord is when, right now. Peter ends his sermon with, an, well, one of the first altar calls. Listen to what he says. And it shall be, how are we saved from the wrath that is to come? And it shall be that everyone who does what? Calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, the alarms are sounding. The fire is getting closer. There is an exit 
The exit name is Jesus Christ, and that exit leads to salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, and happiness. Please do not hesitate. Don't resist the change. You know, you may think you have more time. I'm not saying this to, to, to make you fearful. You have no idea when your time is coming. And, and that goes for those who have called on the Lord and for those who haven't. We have no idea if today's our last day, how are you spending that time and how are you going to spend your eternity? Because God wants you to spend it with him. I hope it's not our last days. That'd be sad. But it might be, folks. Peter takes this as an opportunity to warn people. And if you have called upon the name of the Lord, and you're in here today, then you need to tell others to call upon the name of the Lord, and you need to share exactly what Peter shared. Grace and judgment. The people here at Pentecost were not drunk, but this message should be very, very, very sobering to each and every one of us. I changed communion to the end for this reason. All the wrath that you and I deserve, all our sins against God, those we did in the past, those we maybe did today, and those that we're going to do in the future, all of that fell, fell on Christ. That's why he did it. He did it so you don't have to face it. He took your, that judgment. He took that penalty for you. Don't waste that opportunity. Don't wait. Don't wait before it's too late, folks. And enjoy the gift that he has given us today. And share that with others. Let others know, hey, God does love you. He does want a relationship with you. This proves it, and this is how that happens. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Lord, and thank you for your justice. We sometimes don't understand it. We sometimes shy away from it, Lord. Lord, we know that your love and your mercy are great, so much so that Christ took that penalty for us.
And we are forever in your debt. It is an unpayable debt. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that has not accepted the gift of Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts and minds. Pray that you would draw them by your Spirit. Pray that they would see the hope and the love and the mercy and the compassion that is found through Jesus Christ. That they can enter into a relationship with you for all eternity. And Lord, help us who have called upon his name to not be ashamed to tell others to do the same. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.